I'll tell you this, I don't just mean it literally, I mean it metaphorically as well. This means more freedom for me and your mum. Holidays, you name it. White sand, blue sand. You would deny your own daughter. In a heartbeat. Saved by the bell, old man. Oh, best birthday tree ever. Yeah, even better than James's basket of goodies. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 272 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that enjoyed the paradox of Ovid sending Ryan a notification to tell him he doesn't have any notifications, which in itself is a notification. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm taking Monday off. Oh, you are? I am. Oh, God. Hold on. No, I... I... <laughs> it is related. No. <laughs> Yeah, the auction should be done and up by Saturday Excellent. evening. I'm so happy. We can talk about something else then. Oh, yes. Thank God. So we have this lady who's who used to own another estate sale kind of company. This um, is a Coronation Street podcast, just, yes. just in case anyone's dropped in for the first time. Right, yes. And um, and so she's kind of a big deal for us. She brings a lot of business in for us and everything. So she wanted to run her own little uh, miniature auction. And my boss said yes, because she is a big deal and she brings us a lot of business and everything. And we're, we're nice to people who make us money. And so she's been working on this kind of concurrently with my auction, which also has dollhouses and miniature pieces of furniture in it. And... And she just said this week, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to have enough pieces to make a full auction. Let's just put my stuff in your auction. So like within five minutes, I had gained 60 more lots that were already done that I didn't have to do anything with. So you told her to fuck off, obviously. No. Huh. I've, no, I've it was completely misunderstood the story. Then it was a big help. Oh, okay, sure. Yes, because all of a sudden I had sixty more lots that I didn't have to fill and I didn't have to work on, so that narrow that narrows it down considerably. So well, that's sixty more things that someone's got to. No, she already wrote the descriptions and did all the pictures. Oh, okay, it's all done. I clearly haven't understood the story. Then. No, <laughs> but I'm pleased for you anyway. Yes, so woohoo! So it'll be done. I said I'm going to take Monday off to kind of just defrag and and cleanse my mind. Oh, Christ. And then Tuesday. Back at it again. Tuesday, my, my big auction of the year begins preparation. The physical media, book, film, and art auction. It's the painting of the fourth bridge. Yes. And this year, it's going to be a two-day auction because I have so many freaking... This is what happens. We do an auction for something. Those things do really well. And then everybody and their brother 
comes to us with more of that type of thing. Some of it really good, some of it less so. So last year I was begging for comic books. Now I'm like close to turning them down. And we've gotten so many awesome books and so many awesome vinyl records that I'm just going to be so busy until January. But it's stuff that I love, so I'm very excited. So yeah, it's the circle of life. It is the circle of life indeed. How are you this week? I've got some exciting news. You do? Fresh off the presses. Woohoo! Back after an 18-month hiatus this weekend, uh-huh. SpongeBob Squarecast. What? Coming back. Is it? Yes. You guys are really going to do that? We're going to finish season three. Wow. Mark Baker has power. (laughs) It turns out a lot of people that Stella goes to school with have listened to the podcast. (laughs) And they seem to have some clout. Thanks to her algebra teacher. So we were talking about this uh, coming home in the car just now from trivia. And I thought it was much longer than 18 months ago that we stopped doing it. And I thought we had a little bit more of season three to do before we got to the end. We stopped when she went to Washington. Mm-hmm. And she says, now people think I died in Washington. I was like, well, <laughs> Wouldn't be the first which person. Which would be the first person, right? So we had a look at some of the numbers and we got another bit of feedback from somebody. And we were two episodes away from finishing season three of SpongeBob SquarePants. So we're going to finish off season three and maybe we'll do season four. Who knows? Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting. I'm very happy about this. And so is SpongeBob. Yep. Who is still here on the table. Our SpongeBob Squarecast was the most popular podcast of the Common Language Network. Yes. And people are still listening to it. It gets a thousand downloads a month from us not doing anything. No, I think people will be, people who don't know her will be shocked at the voice change. Yeah. Well, we listened to the first episode and we listened to the last one and she's like, I sound like I was in second grade. <laughs> so that's the big news that's on this exciting. side of the desk. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that on Sunday. Wow. So, yeah. That's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'll need to remember how to do that, but we'll give it a go. Do you still have the sound cues? Do I, do I still have the sounds? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've got that. That's all we need. <laughs> Wait, do you still have <clears throat> the the um, theme song? Oh, yeah, I'd do that in post. Oh, okay. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that spongy Corey news. Vicky Myers, who plays our beloved DS Wayne, is taking a break from Corey to star in the seven-part ITV series The Long Shadow, based on the Yorkshire Ripper case. She co-stars with David Morrissey, Jill Halfpenny, and Toby fucking Jones. Toby fucking Jones. Toby fucking Jones. It's pretty exciting stuff. I haven't been this excited since the guy who played Allie was in that movie with Florence Pugh playing her brother. He was in Hijack as well with Idris Elba. Right. I didn't watch that We're not talking about that. We're talking about... Vicky Myers. Or Vicky Myers in The Long Shadow. Our beloved Vicky Myers. She gets a demotion in this though. She's going from DS to a WPC, I think. Yeah, but it's a different show and she's playing a different character. So it's technically well, yes, I know not. That, but that's kind of the joke. <laughs> How Fantastic. Exci- I, I can't wait to see this. On Monday. Yeah. Premieres on Monday, the I'm, 25th. I'm going to have to charge up my laptop so I can access my VPN. Right. I have always been rather fascinated with the Yorkshire Ripper case. 
it's I've watched a few documentaries on the Netflix about it. So Yeah, congratulations, Vicky. We look Toby forward to fucking that. Jones. Toby fucking Jones. Toby fucking Jones. Soon we'll be saying Vicky fucking Myers. That's right. In fact, That's I just right. Did. You did. You should you should play her theme theme song since we just talked about her. That's Swain. That's Swain. This is, and this explains why she's not handling this this moiter case. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Filming was interrupted this week due to Mother Nature sharing her disappointment with recent storylines with a downpour on Monday. Everybody had to leave, and Coulson, it rained in Manchester. Yeah. Wow. And and Coulson, breaking news. And Coulson, well, it was it was there was like flooding. It was like really bad. Heavy rain in Manchester. Yes. Breaking news. And Colson Smith was wearing the wrong sort of clothes. He was freezing because he was wearing shorts. <sighs> I got to see his hairy knees oh. on the Instagram. Excellent. So, huzzah! It was raining in Manchester. Yeah. No, no. But like I saw footage. It was a lot of rain and and wind and stuff. It was bad. There was flooding. Flooding's bad. Yes. I would say a sharp uh, decline following the Vicky Myers news. Well, yes. Yes. That was that was the highlight of the week was Vicky Myers. That's right. <laughs> and finally, despite pushing 90 and looking fabulous, Barbara Knox has signed on for another year on Coronation Street. You keep going, Barb. We're 100% behind you. You should sing more on the show. I think it's her birthday next week. Yeah, and they're so doing towards that big, the end of September. Yeah, special for her. Good for her. Yeah, so she's the second oldest on the show. Cause Bill Roach. Yes. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, and that leads, us, that leads us rather neatly into Everyone's a Critic. Why do I want to watch YouTube now? It wasn't just Spongebob that got a new review on the iTunes. Why? This podcast did too. It's been a while. This from J Spray Kennedy, who I already love. <laughs> in a five-star review entitled Comfort Listening. Ooh. Things are different in Canada. I love the inside jokes and the trusty formula of the podcast. Such lovely people. Aww. My go-to podcast when I have the Sunday scaries. Thanks for the hard work. Isn't that lovely? That is lovely. I never know what the Sunday night fear's called in Canada. Yeah, the Sunday scaries. The Sunday scaries. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out like I did for Jay Spray Canada. Thank you again for that wonderful review. We really do appreciate it. Yes, we do. You can get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com or on our DMs, which are always open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. With a new Fraser starting up soon, we might get asked to rewrite that. Who I knows? don't think so. I bet Kelsey Grammer listens to this. Kelsey Grammer is an, is is renowned for being an evil, even keeled sort of guy, isn't he? Unless you're married to him, or know him, <laughs> or just sit next to him on a plane. I'm sure. It, I'm sure he's fine. Anyway, we're buying our own coffees this week. <gasps> 
the Toggle Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But hey, if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, Helen, remember now, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Whew. That's a lot to say. That's a lot to say. I'm going to take a breath now and say, <gasps> and now this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Fire Up the Woody. This was, this was Roy going bat hunting. That's right, this was Evelyn, realising where Roy's mistakenly donated items had gone to which charity shop, and urged him to make haste, fire up the woody, she said. I was Gavin, and you simply must find out the brand of that digital camera. What? No idea. There was probably... There must have been a digital camera in the episodes. Right, I yes. Guess. That made I him, guess that's what that's about. That had like a very clear... Yeah. picture you're already sighing while talking about your new job i think this marks a year of auction talk yes. but not auction, auction talk, talk with our with theme, the theme song i had made a start on working through the best picture movies and after a year i still think i'm only about 10 or 11 in <laughs> and i was choked with the cold but i did enjoy a lovely covid test before recording after scamming a free night in a hotel the jury returned with toya's fate Alia has the name of a solicitor who specialises in miscarriages of justice, but who has a hefty fee. Probably £10,000, I would imagine. I would imagine. Daisy has her heart and her sights set on getting the manager job when Jenny moves to Canada. Nina is devastated when she learns that she's inadvertently thrown out one of Roy's prized possessions. Kelly and Addie's engagement party looms, but is overshadowed by troubling news from a familiar face. Kieran's henchmen are identical. Canada's visa process is lightning quick and Glenda knows Kung Fu. Our moment of the week was Roy and Evelyn sharing his birthday cake and our boring moment of the week was Stephen sleeping in his vest in his car. And that was Coronation Street and how, the talk of the street. How far we've this come. This time last year. Uh, how far we've come. How far we've come. Not very. <laughs> well, what was that going on then? That was non-racist Kelly about to go out. Mm-hmm. Toy about to be found not guilty of killing Imran. Right. And Stephen killing Leo. And soon. Not this week, but like, what is it, like next week or something? Yeah, and then losing all his money. So, anyway, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, let me just say a better week this week. Yes. I think I we think can all agree I can, yes. a better week this week. Thank God. A dead body always equals a better week. Because I tell you, see when you're spending three hours of your week writing notes for something that's not that great. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, There's a, a bit of a... Burden. bit of a burden, yeah. <laughs> anyway, our first storyline this week is a farewell to Shelley. On Monday. And arms. Paul and Billy and Summer, who isn't wearing a cake, are getting ready for... 
Uh, there's Stag do. Paul still hasn't heard from Shelley, but doesn't have any concerns about it. Billy, though, is fretting out of his tits about this Stag do, and he wants confirmation from Summer that there will be no cock-shaped lollipops at the Stag do. Definitely no fisting and no shoving Mike. Summer looks <laughs> flustered like the Stag do is going to be made up of cock-shaped lollipops fisting and a constantly pushed over Mike, but she distracts them both with the flash from her Polaroid camera that she's got them. Yes, because because she's going phoneless or something? The stag do is to be phoneless. Oh, okay. So people actually talk to each other. Or more likely, people just sit around wondering what's going on on Twitter and Facebook and still not speaking to each other. The whole stag do... It was filled with people we don't know. <laughs> right. And, it and lo- not and enough it looked, people we do know. It looked kind of like the same bistro that they used for the chili eating contest it was no but with the same except there was rainbows in that guess right yes you forgot the rainbows how how did i forget the rainbows later bernie gets an old message from a coughing shelly asking to postpone her visit because she isn't feeling well but tells her everything is bagged up and ready to go she's about to head out when dev appears keen to get his hole and bernie isn't about to knock that back so summer arrives at the bistro where Gemma is dressing chairs up in studied leather Summer tells Gemma that Billy and Paul were expecting something subtle, and Gemma is confused because they put her in charge. Right. Summer wants to pull back, but Gemma gives her a shot and tells her to chill the fuck out. And also, for Gemma, this is subtle. It was far more subtle than it could have been. Right. Seriously. And it looked nice. I thought it looked nice. There's something about all those uh, foil kind of decorations that look a bit naff and... 70s don't you think no i enjoyed the 70s (laughs) i was born then there's a knock at the door and it's the filth looking for bernie they have some questions for her regarding a potential fraud with a shelly rosington and they'd like to ask her some questions down the station bernie asks dev to keep this to himself not a word to paul about it she has nothing to hide from the police and she goes and gets ready to accompany them yes they're both in their dressing gowns still and dev is very coy about about his chest i find myself getting a little bit riled up by the police and that because they wander into dev's house and say to him who are you so who the fuck are you yeah my more, house more to the point this is my house who are yeah. you yeah and they must not know an awful lot about bernie if they don't know that she's with dev now well they know enough that she lives there right but it's not her house they she, should she know doesn't that live there. our mail doesn't go there it goes to the right. courthouse doesn't it yeah so what are they doing at Dev's in the first place? Who knows? So the cop shop, Bernie plays it cool. Shelley was Paul's mate, not hers, and she barely knew her. The cops show some text messages, or talk about some text messages between them, and again, Bernie is as cool as, as she explains, that she occasionally kept hold of some packages for Shelley, doing a Christian thing for a poor lady with MND. She asks to speak to Shelley. Oh, no can do, says the copper. And I think, and I've seen this as well on, on the socials, they missed a little bit of a trick here because I'd have quite liked to have seen Bernie learning this news. Right. But they don't show it. It's kind no. of off camera. And yeah. I think they missed a trick. Yeah. But it's interesting because I think I think her genuine surprise that Shelley is dead is why the cops let her go more than anything. Right. Because, you know, if they were really in cahoots, wouldn't she know she was dead? I did worry when the mentioned about the the messages 
Because uh-huh. I don't think Bernie's going to be the sort of person that's going to be careful about things like that, even though she should know to be careful about that. Right, yeah. Or have a burner phone or something. Right. Anyway, it all seems to get sorted out. So back at the bistro, Summer is pished and no longer cares about the cock-shaped lollipops. Gemma is worried about Bernie's whereabouts, but then Summer calls out that Billy and Paul are about to arrive, so everyone has to get to their stations and be poppers. <coughs> Billy and Paul But are, not like that. Billy and Paul are made up. <laughs> the bistro is looking fabulous and rainbowy, and hardly anybody is there that we know. Let's shove Mike! <laughs> Later, Billy's having trouble keeping the shots down, which is a surprise given his previous heroin addiction, but never mind. And everyone's wondering where Bernie is. She finally arrives at the stag do and can't get into the spirit of the party. In fact, she grabs Paul there and then and tells him that she has some upsetting news for him. Mm-hmm. She takes him to a booth and tells him about Shelley and the run with the law, which she seems to have been able to dodge. And Paul is super upset and Billy immediately wants to take him home. Paul, though, wants to go to Shelley's. Back at the courthouse, Ben insists the cops have nothing on her, but Gemma and Chesney are worried that she's going to get banged up. Like the family aren't going through enough at the moment, says Chesney. Bernie wants Shut up, Chesney. <laughs> Bernie wants to focus on Paul, who has lost the only person who knew what he was going through. And at Shelley's, Paul is sniffing Shelley's cardigan. That still has a label on it, but it's not in a creepy Daniel way that he's doing it. No. Billy tells him not to beat himself up about this. He wasn't to know. But Paul doesn't know what he'll do without his pal and is upset that he didn't get to say goodbye and he's further upset later when Jim, the personal assistant person, tells him that she died on her own. Isn't it kind of weird that they're there inside the apartment? Just the two of them? I mean, I know he had a key. Yeah, he used Bernie's key, he said. Right. But this is a dead woman's house and you just like stroll in or roll in. And sniff her cardigan. It's a dead woman's house that you've maybe met half a dozen times. Yikes. Yeah. Well, that we've seen. I know. And I don't think... I think think it's easy to dismiss it as being a relatively new friendship. But Mm -hmm. this was hugely important to, to Paul to give him the perspective that he needed and to allow him to just scream at a cloud if that's what he wanted to do and not judge him on it or say everything's going to be fine or all that kind of nonsense he's going to die right and Shelley knows that and because of that the two of them could talk kind of on the same level about right they could share some dark humor about it where that would give billy the vapors yeah billy's not yeah despite being an archdeacon is not well geared to have those sort of conversations in fact george is probably better at it I mean, I wouldn't imagine Billy would be good at dark humor about death. Supporting people, yes. Dark humor. Is he good at supporting people, though? I'm not even sure he's good at that, though. No. Yeah. I think he's too close to Paul to be able to do it well. Maybe. Billy asked about Shelley's funeral plans, but apparently she had no family. She just had a brother that she didn't get on with. Paul is the only one that she knew what she wanted, so he decides there and then that he's going to be the one to arrange it, despite Billy's gentle protests. Billy does like a good, gentle protest. Fuck you, Billy. Back home. They've pulled Todd round and Paul wants him to do the funeral, but Todd says that Rest Easy are a bunch of shysters and they'd be better with Shuttleworths, and Paul is grateful for Todd's honesty. Bernie and Billy remain worried about Paul taking too much on with this, and Paul, though, who has been served with a very strong reminder that you never know how long you've got, leaves to clear his head for a bit. 
So he's in the community garden and Todd comes and sits with him and we see just how hard Shelley's death has hit Paul and reminded him of how sick he is too and how he doesn't have long to go. But he is determined now, I think because Shelley went on her own, that he's going to go on his own terms. This is deja vu all over again for Todd. Yes. Haven't we just been here? Didn't you change your mind? Paul says that he never really changed his mind. He just pretended that he had. He wants to choose when and how he goes. And he wants Todd to keep his fucking mouth shut about it. That's right. So on Tuesday, Nina's rolls. Todd is worried about Paul being suicidal. Paul says this is different, and he thanks Todd to lower the volume of his voice. Todd says that it's people who challenge you who are your real friends. And a nice little dig that I think actually meant something to him. At Shuttleworth, George has to break the news that Shelley won't be able to get a shark coffin, but she'll get the next best thing, a wooden one. Against Bernie's wishes, Paul is spending the scam money on the funeral, Nothing but the best for his pal. And Bernie makes a really good point here. It's like, she doesn't appreciate this. She's gone. Right. right? Yeah, but it's more for Paul. Just as all funerals are more for the people left behind than the dead one. Right. You know, this is something that Paul can do because he wasn't there when she died. But Shelley would be appalled to learn that this is what he's spending the money on. Yeah. She know. wanted to go in a shark coffin for fuck's sake. It's like, well, I think she wanted to go in a shark-shaped p- coffin. I don't think she wanted to go literally inside an actual shark. No, no that would be really difficult to arrange I mean, at short notice. Some people have done that, but not, not through choice. on purpose. No. <laughs> Unless they did. You know, I'm thinking I'm, of Quint I'm, from Jaws. I'm, I'm, there, there was there's like this conspiratorial case of you know, uh, a shark in an aquarium that got really sick and barfed up an arm and people think that the person committed suicide by jumping in the shark tank. Suicide by shark. Suicide by shark. That's a risk, isn't it? Yeah, because you don't know. No. You don't know what that shark's had for dinner. Shark may not appreciate your taste. (laughs) He may be more into French food. If you're at that low ebb, I doubt shark cuisine is high on your list of priorities. Bernie thinks it can still be a decent funeral if they cut a few corners. She doesn't need this money because she's dead, she says. But Paul Paul says that he does want to spend the money how he wants because he's an idiot. Todd is round at Paul's chatting about his assisted suicide and how Paul is keeping this from Billy. Paul trusts Todd to help him and to respect his decisions. Todd says it's not easy, but promises to do so if Paul promises not to give up. Paul agrees, but says he's going to have to adjust his priorities here. In the pub, Paul tells Bernie that he's taken her advice after all. It's what Shelley would have wanted. A pound stretcher funeral it is. And this way he can take care of his own funeral his own future needs better. Which but by, by which he means paying for assisted suicide. Right. But Bernie doesn't know that. Bernie nips off for a shite, which allows Paul to thank Todd for being such a good friend. Best friend. Friend Best friend in the world, best friend. Is that offensive? I hope so. <laughs> On Wednesday, George meets up with Billy and Paul and Nina Rolls to discuss the funeral arrangements because the Undertakers doesn't have a set anymore. Remember when we got to see inside the Undertakers quite frequently, as it turns out? Yeah. Now we've resorted to talking about the funeral arrangements in Nina's roles. Right, yeah. Why can't it's we just go in? not right. 
Why why can't we go inside? They've dismantled the set clearly is what's happened. But why would they do that? Why would they do that when they know that they've got a story coming up that involves undertaking? Right. What? It doesn't make any sense. So weird. Yes. Todd comes in and proudly announces that George will see them all right. Paul has a few words that he'd like to leave with Shelley's body and George agrees to do it. And Paul seems to want George to read it, but George is having none of that. Right, yeah. He's like, I, you know, it's okay if you read it just to make sure that it's appropriate. And George is like, I don't need to do that. What he really means is, I don't care. <laughs> That's not what he means. Later in Nina's roles, Billy and Paul are talking about his funeral plans. And thanks to Alex, Paul decides on a Mexican wrestler themed affair. Ray Mysterio gets a wee name check. He was one of my favourite from back in the day. I actually thought he was dead, but he's not. So that's good. Do you know that I have a vintage Rey Mysterio t-shirt in my Mercari shop at the moment? Vintage? From the 1990s. Vintage is 20 years or older. I wouldn't have thought that Rey Mysterio made his WWE debut until the 2000s. Technically, 2000, 2001, and 2002 are also vintage. Oh, there we go. Billy worries about how Paul is coping, and Paul says he's fine and just glad that he had Shelley in his life. And at the Godflat, Billy tells Paul that everything is organised for the funeral, so Paul can stop worrying and relax now. It's all in hand. Billy reminds Paul that he doesn't need to hang around afterwards if he doesn't want to, so I can check out whenever I like, asks Paul. Absolutely, says Billy. Not realising what he's just agreed to. I know. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Oh no, it was Mil Mascaris, not Rey Mysterio. Sorry. Wrong luchador. How do you feel about this? About the sissy suicide thing? Yeah. I'm a little uneasy about it. Um, I'd, I'd, You know, we, we've spoken about the responsibility that Coronation Street has to the charities that it partners with and right. the people that they talk to about these storylines. Right. They are under no obligation. I think we've said this before, but they're under no obligation to to follow any prescripted path or whatever because it's a drama and it needs right. to go in certain directions and it yes. needs to be, you know, it, there needs to be parts of it that cause conflict and, and what have you. And they have, but they do have to worry about the message that they send out. Yes. And I think I was hoping for something a little more life-affirming of kind of appreciating what you've got a little bit more. And I feel like Shelley was that character to mm-hmm. help him with that because she was somebody who'd kind of made her peace a little bit. Right, she was she a had, pistol. She hadn't made her peace with her brother, no. Let's not forget, but she had made her piece, and she was a live wire. Yes, she was. Having Paul checking out on his own, or on his own timetable, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I would feel about this if I had MND was watching it. But, but, who, but who knows? I am sure that there are people with MND who do, do, who do choose or at least suicide. Or at least contemplate it. Right. And, you know... If you know at some point, and I mean, it's not like he's going to do this tomorrow. He's just planning it for the future. And, you know, when he gets to the point where, where like nothing in his body is working anymore and he can't speak, 
I can kind of understand at that point when you know, when, you know, you're not really capable any, anymore of, of having, of living life to the fullest. You know, when that choice is completely taken away from you, I can, I can understand scheduling it for the future. You know, I can understand people making the choice of assisted suicide at some point. But complicating factors in all this is Billy and his job. Right. And Billy and his attitude to this. Right. I think it's a very different story if Billy and Paul form a pact. Right. This is what they're going to do. Right. Billy's 100% behind it. Yeah. Billy's not 100% behind it. No. And Billy doesn't know about it, and nor does Paul want Billy to know about it. Correct. So let's bang this drum again. Why are they getting married? Right, yeah. They have nothing in common. They have nothing in common. They're both gay, that's it. They don't really like each other. (laughs) Billy has said on at least two occasions that if it wasn't for the fact that Paul was dying, he'd have dumped him. Right, with the whole you know, other, other man thing. So here's Paul's, and I I don't know if this is, this is reason enough, right? But here's Paul, who's the man he supposedly loves, the man who he's going to marry, the man who he's going to scar in a lot of ways once all of this is over. Right. Really doesn't want me to do this. Right. It's not Billy's choice though. It isn't Billy's choice, but... He should know about it. But Paul can have some effect on Billy in the future. Mm. Should Paul give Billy the chance to prove himself in this, that he wants to be the person who's going to look after him all through those those dark days? Well, it's... And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's... I, I, don't, I don't think that's the point. I don't think he's doing this because he doesn't think... Billy is capable of taking care no, of himself. No, he's not, but Billy thinks that he is. And Billy is planning on doing that. Well, Billy is And dumb. Billy is planning on doing that and proving that by marrying them. Does marrying someone prove that you'll take care of them when they're dying? It, it's a declaration that that's exactly what you're going to do. Yeah. There's something about in sickness and in health there. Right, yeah. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but I think there's something about in sickness and in health there. Yeah, but I, I would say that the divorce rate proves otherwise. I don't know. I, I think one of the things that does bother me about this is that, like you said, Shelley had so much acceptance of of her fate and saw the humor in it. You know, and, and kind of went down swinging. She had a good death, I would say. Right. Well, she died alone, but she died in her sleep. So she didn't know she was alone. And she was alone most of the time. Mm-hmm. She had no partner. She had no family. She had a cough for a couple of days and then she's gone. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, is how it, is how it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, even people without something severe like MND. Pneumonia can kill you even when you are typically a very healthy person we've seen a lot of people over the pandemic who get covid and then they get pneumonia and then they die i i know people whose spouse whose that has happened to their spouses more than one person and that's kind of scary um but it it just feels like 
the wrong message to take in memory of Shelley to say, well, I don't want to die alone in my sleep. Of course, if Paul died in his sleep, he wouldn't be alone. Mm. So because I don't want to die alone, I'm going to make the choice to die on purpose at a set time. With Todd. With Todd. Presumably. Right. Yeah, because he's not, he's, he hasn't taken his mother or his sister into his confidence either. So one would assume that they wouldn't be there either. If the person that you're not going to have with you, if that person isn't going to be the person that you've just married. Or your family. Yeah, probably shouldn't get married. No. And if they're left completely out of the equation right. in the discussion. Right. And caught by surprise by it. Yeah, that's not a good, that's not a good... No, that's not a good death. No. No. He needs to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. It I mean well done to the show for 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 doing something that is getting people talking. Mm. You know, it's certainly getting us talking. I see pros and cons to presenting this story like this. I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people with MND will watch this and say, Well, wait a second. There are more horrible things than being in a wheelchair, you know. Yeah, being in the company and have the love of your family around you. Yeah. Through some dark, some very dark days, I, I imagine. Right. Sometimes that might not mean an awful lot, but sometimes it might mean... The world. Everything, right? Yeah. But I can also, I can also see people with MND watching this and saying, finally, somebody's... And, and other people with bat, with diseases that are not going to end well. Somebody's not sugarcoating this. Yeah, right? fi- yeah. Finally, somebody's being really open and frank about this sort of thing on a television show and getting people talking mm-hmm. and maybe adding some acceptance to people making this choice. Right. Very good. Do you think Bernie's got off? I think Bernie's got off. I think, I Bernie's think that's got done. off. Yeah. yeah. Good. I really don't want anyone to be chasing her down about this. No. All right, let's move on to our next storyline. Just a few scenes from Monday for Alley of Love. Blech. This was quite funny, actually. On Monday at Devs, Bernie has lost her phone and is blaming Courtney for half inching it. Nina finds it. Because it's vintage. Nina finds it, but then Asha complains that Courtney's taking too long in the shower. And she's also singing. Who Miley Cyrus. Badly. Yes. She also... And a, Scouse accent. What's that going to sound like? Oh, and Addie's. It's so funny because Addie's like, "But you like Miley Cyrus," and Ash is like, "Right, I like Miley, Miley Cyrus." Yeah, Ash not Courtney. Ash is pretty good this week. Yes. She also asks if Courtney is contributing to the running of the house, and a flustered Addie says it will have a word. Right, because Nina is contributing. Yeah, even though she's only going to be there for a couple of weeks. Right. Is Bernie contributing? Well, and. <laughs> Benefits in kind, I think, for Dave. <laughs> and then the roles, Addy tries to bring up the subject of paying her way, but Courtney is not about to agree to that, reminding Addy that she doesn't have a job. Well, maybe get a job then, says Addy. You've, You've got, got a, a degree. degree. But Courtney is too worried about the gap in her employment history. Which is hilarious in this day and age that she'd be worried about her a gap in her employment history. Plus, all the money she has, she's going to need for her divorce lawyers. Which she has no money. This is already she- not worth it, says Addy's expression. And at this point, it's like, she's drinking my coffee. She's got me to go up to the counter to complain about her iced coffee or whatever Right, yeah. Oh, you don't, Nina doesn't make it the way you make it for me. Can you go up and, and show her how it's done? 
Fuck you. <laughs> I don't know. Courtney Boobs is in the middle of complaining about the stew and dumplings when Darren comes round with an envelope for Courtney. Consider yourself served, he says. Sign on the dotted line and they can be free in a couple of months. Courtney is thrilled by this, saying that she and Addy are looking for their own place. They're uh, young and in love. Well, he's young enough for the pair of you and your tits, says Darren. And he leaves them to it. Right, and 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 Addy has this look on his face like, we're doing what now? Yeah. Addy is wondering just what the fuck he's got himself into here. It was funny during the stew eating uh, part of that uh-huh. scene where Courtney describes it as rustic and rustic basic oh. and Asha's like basic right yeah your cheeky cow right yeah and that's as far as we get with that this week yeah yeah short and sweet which is the way I like this particular storyline to be over very quickly yeah I'm still not I'm still not feeling not loving it at all not loving it and now that Courtney and Darren are separate she's worse now she is she is She's absolutely worse now because remember, and this is, this is something that I really don't like about this story because when we're presented with her first, she's, we're presented with this woman who supposedly has her own money and has a degree Mm -hmm. and, you know, is very cocksure about herself and, and is spicy and, and independent and everything. And now that she doesn't have her husband's money, all of a sudden, she can't lift a finger or else she'll wilt. Right. You know, that was kind of the one good thing about Courtney is that is, was her confidence in, in being and her business smarts. And now it's like, oh, well, I've got this 10 year gap. Yeah, this 10 year gap where you were helping your husband's business. It's you were working there. Right. Even if it was just like an advisory right basis you could say that does the show not remember that that's what she was doing yes has everyone forgotten this apparently yeah so she's turned from being a kind of well a bit of a sex pest to just a moaning faced bitch really well yeah she before she was a sex pest but she was a super confident intelligent businesswoman sex pest and now it's just sex pest and also Parasite. So, so I guess I've changed my opinion on the trajectory of this. You may remember last week I thought that they're in cahoots and this is some scheme to get right. more money out of Dev and they just try to rip him off. I don't know that I think that anymore. No. I do think, though, that Courtney is absolutely using Addy well, yes. and is desperate to get back with Darren. Yeah, she wants her money back. Mm-hmm. She wants that life. Right. And, and she doesn't want to have to work for it. And that's only going to become more and more loud in her head the longer that she's staying at Dev's. Right. A, a low point this week, I think, although it did have some funny bits. Hmm. All right, let's move on to our next story, which is, do you want to bet? No. On Monday, Ederon are getting ready for their first day of their new project and they will be breaking ground. Woohoo! Michael wishes them luck. Ronnie says, they are the luck. Right, we make no our own luck. No one knows what that means. We make our own luck. Then Ed gets a message from James asking him to get in touch, and Ronnie instantly suspects that he has the inside track on today's county game, which is a thing that everyone's talking about. 
We're introduced to Neil, the site manager, who informs them that the digger is stuck in another site, Dan Saf, but he's doing his best to get it to Manchester today. He makes them a bet. He'll buy the drinks if it doesn't arrive, and Ron and Ed can buy the drinks if it does arrive. Neil is going to use the word bet quite a bit in this episode. Yeah, to the point where it's really annoying. Yes. At the site, Ronnie has news of a new investor who's going to cough up 50 grand for a 15% stake in the business. It's bad news from Neil, though. The digger is still stuck down south. Congratulations, says Neil. You've won the bet. Bet, bet, bet. Betted, we betted, 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 bet. So they arrange to meet in the rovers later. Ed kicks at the dirt like a chicken and hums ominously. And the camera zooms in Zin. on the little bit that he's been kicking. Right, where there's a finger. Did we see a finger at that point? I saw a finger. Well. There's just like a little bit of finger. Mm. And that's why it like zooms in ominously. Sometimes a little bit of finger is all it takes. That's true. In the Rovers, a big screen TV is getting fitted while Neil goes on about betting some more with Ed and Ronnie. Steve and Tim come in for the county game on the big telly. Neil thinks county are going to get battered, but Ed thinks differently thanks to James's inside knowledge about the opposition keeper. Neil wants to head to the bookies to put on a bet and invites Ed along, but Ed politely declines. Yes, and also, bet, bet, bet. Bet, Betty, bet, bet. Betty, bet, bet. Betty, bet, bet. Later, Neil comes... Bet's gone. Yes. She's not in the Rovers anymore. Later, Neil comes back from the bookies while the TV is still getting installed. Apparently, there's some problem with the signal now. Yeah. That was hilarious. Yes. Seems County are one up, and Neil now seems like the most determined person in existence as he tries to coax Ed back to the bookies to get in on the action. Ed just chuckles and ignores him. And finally, the punters are watching football on Michael's phone. There's this massive TV behind them, but they're watching the game on a tiny little phone. Neil mentions Benton some more while Michael notices that Ed has disappeared. Glenda, who is a delight this episode... She's a delight all week. ...explains that he sneaked out earlier. But when Michael gets home, he sees Ed there. Ed insists that he didn't put on a bet, but he was sick of Neil banging on about betting, which, to be fair, he's done quite a bit. Yes. He removed himself from the situation, which was for the best, and the responsible thing to do, so bravo. Ed goes for a walk and runs into Neil, who is still going on about fucking betting, bet, bet, bet. and asks Ed to keep the tips coming. Ed tells him to fuck all the way off. Yes. And somehow manages not to knee Neil in the newts. <laughs> yes. He was close, though. On Tuesday, it says birthday. Happy birthday to Ed. And his present is the digger, which has finally arrived so they can break ground today. And also some cookies and a basket of luxury chocolates. Dee Dee gives him a box. John Doe has the upper hand. With some cookies <laughs> and Gwyneth Paltrow's head. And an enormous badge. Ronnie comes along to find out what Ed's done to upset Neil. So Ed admits that he lost his temper about Neil going on about betting all day yesterday. Ronnie tells him to go and suck Neil's cock or whatever. They need to get the site manager on site. So later, Ed apologises to Neil site. for the other day and explains about his gambling addiction and Neil is sympathetic and apologetic too and everything's all fixed in the shake. Well done, Ed. At the law office, apparently the sale hasn't been finalised yet but Ronnie and Ed are keen to get started ahead of that so Dee Dee promises to speed things up. It's all plain sailing from here, says Ronnie, thus cursing the entire project. Just like he did when he said we make our own luck. Because at the site, the guy working the digger has come across something rather disturbing. Meanwhile, Jenny and Stephen are back from Gay Paris. 
A passing Ronnie tells these two disinterested people that he has a new project starting today and then he gets a call from a desperate Ed demanding his immediate presence. And when Ronnie gets there, it's DC Tinker who's on site bringing the construction to a halt with his yellow tape because what the digger has uncovered is the arm of one of those green soldiers that you see in Toy Story. (laughs) It's not long before forensic arrive, DC Tinker tells Ronnie and Ed to talk to their insurance about loss of revenue because this here is a crime scene. Yes, and I'm less annoyed by this now by knowing what exactly Vicky is doing instead of being on the site. (laughs) And he's still got that dude behind him that he has to keep checking with to make sure it's okay for him to say things. But he never says anything himself, this dude. No! And he doesn't have a name. He's not named in the credits. He nods. That's his job. He nods. He shrugs occasionally. And one time, he opened his blazer and then closed it again. (laughs) I don't know what that was supposed to signify. But nobody speaks to him... (laughs) And he doesn't speak to anybody. No. Is he a ghost? <laughs> Craig looks at him is he, for approval. Is he Bruce Willis from Sixth Sense? Spoiler alert. <laughs> that he's dead all along. He does cast a shadow. I watched yeah. a couple of other back episodes where he was in not talking and he does cast a shadow. If, so he if, does exist, I think. If Craig is still on like probation where he has to be followed exactly. around by somebody, why is he on this case? Is it just because Vicky Myers is off doing something else? And why Don't they? Wh- what about that other woman? The other woman who was helping Daisy out? No. No. No, not, not Fringe Lady. Not DS Abney. DS Fringe. Yes. You know, or one of the horrible other men. But They're all horrible, if though. If he's on probation here, he should be the guy that's shadowing the other dude. It should be the right. other dude that's doing all the talking. Right, exactly. We're leaving the questioning up to Craig, and Craig doesn't know anything. Right, and also, this is in his own backyard, and this becomes really apparent in another scene where he's oh, trying yeah. to be we're very professional, and the other person is like, I've known you since you were in diapers, just tell me here, right, right. now. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes. Ronnie and Ed need to get back to work soon before this crime scene bankrupts them. They drag Neil to the pub to tell him the bad news that they can only afford to pay everyone for today while the police are on site. Neil says if his men aren't getting paid then they're probably just going to leave. Ronnie has to tell him that that's probably for the best but Ed is appalled and wonders if there's something they can do in the budget. Ed wants to keep the team together, the team that started work that morning. Right. Ronnie points out that they can't pay people not to work. And while all this is going on, back at Tim's mum's flat, Stephen is packing up. Jenny is sad because it's the end of the romantic adventure. Hold your horses, says Stephen, and he suggests getting their hole in Tim's mum's bed. Creepy as fuck. And I don't know why Jenny agrees to that. I don't know why Jenny agrees to that. Nope. I I can understand why Stephen would suggest it because he hates Tim's mum. But, and this is kind of his way of getting back at her by dragging his feet and having sex with another woman in their bed. It's creepy enough her just even being there. Right. Wandering around going, oh, this is a nice flat, isn't it? Yeah. That was kind of creepy in itself. Yeah. yeah. Not your flat. Later, Stephen and Jenny are pushed on Tim's mum's wine. They're drinking their wine now. Jenny wants to stay like this forever on a permanent vacation. Stephen admits... In someone else's house. ...that he's considering retirement from all the stress that he's been under. And Jenny can certainly empathise. And later, 
They're the pictures of relaxation. Everything in the world is perfect and happy, and they don't want anything to change. Ever. On Wednesday, at home, there's been no news from DC Tinker. Surprise, surprise. Ed now thinks Ronnie is calmer than before, but he says it's a front. Didi comes in with some bad news. The investors pulled out. But not like that. I kind of like that. Well. Metaphorically kind of like that. Eh. Metaphorically, the investor is wiping it on the curtain. Ew. Later, Michael heads home and hears the news for himself. Ronnie reckons this might fuck the whole plan and they should pull out from the purchase, but they'll get sued, so they can't. Ed thinks they've come too far to give up now. But this is starting to feel a little bit like throwing good money after bad. It's funny, though, because you expect Ronnie to be the one that's like, no, we must... We must plow on. We must plow on on our great adventure. And yet it's Ed who's the optimistic one. And it's Ronnie who, if I'm one dead body and he goes to pieces. Seriously. It's not like people haven't. Man up, Ronnie. Fuck's sake. It's not like people haven't uncovered dead bodies in lots that are being changed into something else before on the show. Yeah. Try being a. No, good. I'm about to say something appalling about Fred West there, and I'm not going to. <laughs> Back home, Ed looks to definitely be gambling now, as he has a coupon in one hand, is watching the racing on the TV, and saying, "Come on now, come on now." The show has and been, Aggie's not here. The show has been kind of careful up to this point to kind of suggest that maybe he's betting, but then he hasn't. And then he says that he hasn't, but as you pointed out last week, when he says that he hasn't, it's kind of worded cautiously. So maybe maybe he is, but what he's saying is still tri- strictly true. But here we have him seemingly, obviously gambling. Right, yeah. He said last week, I'm not struggling. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not gambling. It just means that he's not struggling with his gambling. Yeah. In the pub later, Ed announces that he borrowed some money from a friend and has been able to bump the funds of the company account up that'll tide him over for the next wee while. Ronnie isn't sure about more debt, but Ed thinks it's fine so long as they pay his mate back first. So the Baileys are all happier in the pub, thanks to this injection of cash. But Ed mutters under his breath that it's better to quit while you're ahead. Yes. And that is as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, so in two storylines there are verbal entendres where somebody says one thing but means something else we have this where he's really talking about gambling quitting gambling while he's ahead and paul when he says i want to you know i can check out anytime i want and Mm. i can never leave so yeah so we'll come back to the other half of this story later on but oh we're not gonna just plow through no like a digger over a dead body? Nope. That's something we are definitely not going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little disappointed that Ed's temptation back to gambling has been... Uh, has it been straightforward and simple? And and surely he's had temptations like this in the past that he's managed to to keep a lid on. But, well, it seems... But not this time. But at least I think at this point he's trying to tell himself that he's doing this for... I think for the family or something like that, right? I think he was able to tamp it down by making just enough money for the family and not having, like, excessive money. But now he has excessive money, so the temptation is greater. But if he's got that sort of money, then the risk is greater as well, that he's put on a bucket of cash onto this thing. Hmm. 
you don't win this sort of money by betting five pounds. Well, no. So he's yeah, he's done something, but he seems potentially very foolish. Right, but he seems to believe that he's not going to do it again. Right, which I don't know if I believe him. No, that's now that he's done it. That's kind of the floodgates open. But I really liked the storyline where it looked like it looked like everyone had given up on trusting them. Right. And yet he hadn't done anything wrong. But here we have him. Not that he's doing anything wrong. It's just he's he's an addict and he probably shouldn't be doing this. this Correct. This isn't going to end well. I kind of don't like the fact that while it's understandable for them to be upset about this, you know, that they're going to lose money and stuff. It seems really, really, really callous for them to be complaining about a dead body like this, like out in the open, like loudly around other people, especially since it turns out eventually that there are people who are very sad about this dead body. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're moaning about it in the rovers. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be moaning about it in the rovers as well. Well, no, because wouldn't you be concerned like, oh my God, I can't believe that person is dead. Don't you sympathize with the dead body? For a second, and, and now I'm back to sympathizing about how I'm going to put food on the table. Hmm. Ed could probably get some small jobs to keep himself going. Well, yeah, they've, bought, they've built this out of uh, nothing. What they've, they've done one, one project that right. they've turned over and flipped and... This is where they're making the money. But the thing that kind of gets me is if, and I think this is at least partially possible, I think this is maybe not confirmed, but this is where the smart money is. Where we saw Stephen burning the clothes of right. Leo, I think is where Leo's body is buried. If it's not exactly there, then it's thereabouts. Well, it's- There was an industrial thing in the background right and later on they mentioned that oh it's in that bit of land next to that industrial yeah but But who's going to buy a house next to a chemical plant in the first place is my question well desperate times housing shortage if you're going to buy a house that's next to a chemical plant you're not going to give two fucks to there being a dead body right and there are some people who that who that might be appealing to you know People have been murdered in houses that other people now live in. And they're fine with it. Historically haunted houses people buy and live in or pay to stay the night in, you know, as a B&B sort of thing. Yeah, I bet Fielden's made a living out of that. Right. And um, the... Betty. <laughs> no, the... <sighs> I can't remember her name. Ghostbusters? No, that woman who who took an axe and gave her father 40 wax. And the woman she saw... Lizzie Borden. Yes, Lizzie Borden's house is a and b You can spend the night in Lizzie Borden's house. And people do, and people pay a lot of money for it because people were murdered in the house. Yeah, and they'll get up to all sorts of kinky shit in there as well. I bet. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Moving on. Our promises, next promises. is... Bury the hatchet. Oh my god, we didn't even plan that. Oh, yes. (laughs) On Monday, Eileen's George has been collecting CVs for the Todd replacement. He's only had three applicants, but he inflates the number when Todd appears. 
Todd's lost his pocket square, which George finds for him, but there's still no love lost between the two of them. In Nina's roles, Todd meets up with Troy, who is happy with Todd's performance, but has a nasty task for Todd to take care of. Due to Restees' practice of over-promising and under-delivering, he wants Todd to take over a funeral where Troy has been unable to commit to the extended funeral route that the deceased's family want to take. It's Todd's job now to break that news to the client. There's just enough, there's not enough time. Right, which is ridiculous. Just drive by the house, for God's sake. It can't be that far out of the way. Back home, Todd gets a call from an angry Troy. Apparently, rather than doing what Troy instructed, Todd told the client that he would do what he could to fulfil his wishes, because that's his job. Mary doesn't know why Todd doesn't pack rest easy in and go back with lovely George, she says. Todd goes home after recommending Shuttleworth to Paul in another storyline, only to find George ripping the piss out of him and his integrity and his morals, and it says something of Todd's maturity than rather, rather than fighting back. He simply removes himself from the room. On Tuesday at Eileen's, George is chatting to Mary about Shelley's upcoming funeral in another storyline. He mentions the shark coffin. Mary reckons that she would like a Ben Shepherd's bed coffin. (laughs) And and she's useless for the rest of the day after that. Right, now she's just so daydreamy. In comes Todd in a cheery mood, but George can't resist having a go at how Paul chose Shuttleworth rather than this shyster outfit. Todd says nothing and leaves. Mary catches him though, realising how unhappy Todd is at rest easy and tells him that George misses him too. Todd asks George for a chat in the Rovers later, but George is breaking in Lee, the new undertaker. Lee is nine feet tall, skinny and a man of few words. You know who he reminds me of? Remember tall... Matt? Tall Matt, yeah. Whatever happened to Tall Matt? Who was Tall Matt? I can remember the name, but I can't remember he anything worked, about him. He worked at the kebab shop. Oh, yes, he did. And he didn't talk very much. And he shaved kebabs really, really slowly. And he was very tall. Did they just give that dude a haircut and give him a new name? Maybe that is Tall Matt. <laughs> Todd thinks Lee looks the part, but doubts he has the gift of the gab and retracts his request for a chat with uh, George. The two of them seem to reach out to each other, but they're never apologetic at the same time, so the moment passes. Todd eventually says something supposed to be funny at Lee's expense, probably calling him Lurch or asking if he's been an extra in a zombie movie lately. And George says that Todd is sad and he does look it. George takes Lee to the pub for a pint and a chat, but Lee doesn't really do chat and George awkwardly misses Todd, obviously. Todd goes to see Paul to complain about Lee and how George is on the wind-up, but really the problem is that Rest Easy isn't the movie thought it would be and he wants to go back to Shuttleworth, but he's pride won't let him this is just so lovely just the, two, the two of them are just this it, is it why melts my heart a little this bit. is this is why i said before paul and billy got back together and everybody was speculating oh you know what's going to happen in this love triangle why i said what should happen is todd and paul should get together because at least they're kind of the same age and they both they both can be witty and they both have, like, a dark sense of humour. And they're both not Billy. <laughs> right. Yeah, the two of them, I think, I don't know. I think this storyline just just gets me because Todd and George together are just so wonderful. And seeing them bicker like this together, 
while I, I don't like it when they're not friends with each other, the way that this is getting pitched is they're obviously going to make up. They're obviously going to kiss and make up. They're obviously going to... Todd's obviously going to go back. Yes. He may have no choice here because he's just disregarded right a direct he just told his boss odd, to fuck off basically right so this might be a situation that's made up for him right on wednesday todd and george are still icy to each other in the morning george is meeting up with paul and billy later and todd is surprised that lurch will be left in charge george thinks lee is more than capable to look after an undertaker on his own on day two right it's shot worse todd finds that lurch has locked himself out of the house Todd takes a bit of glee from this and makes out that George is a maniac when he loses his temper and then he suggests that Lee climbs in the back to get the keys which is what he does George so comes, he didn't lock himself out because the back was still open the back was open yeah George comes out and catches Lee and Todd comes up with an excuse that gets Lee off the hook a little bit that he threw the keys at him or whatever right. and George is far from impressed though and later George is out and about when he gets a call from a client complaining about lunch and he rushes off to attend and George gets home all flustered about Lee, who apparently was an emotional wreck when a woman walked in off the street with funeral needs. She needed to comfort him in the end. Todd yeah. says Lurch is triggered by grief and almost catches George calling him Lurch too. Todd takes this as a small victory, and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, that was kind of funny. You know, when when George almost says Lurch and, and Todd catches him. Yep. And they kind of they kind of laugh together a little bit. Yeah, by that point, that that's when you really know that yeah, this is going to this is going to work out fine. Let's yes. not let's not worry too let's much. Let's not worry this. too this much is, about this. this. Is going to be okay. They will kiss and make up. Yeah, it's Eileen that I worry about because George stood her up, and now yeah. she's in the bath, and that never bodes well. No, Eileen seems to be in the same place that Aggie is. Yes, like never on the show. Right. Or on for like a fleeting five minutes and then disappears again. Or like most of the quad children. Well, that's understandable. Yeah. It's nice to see that they that they gave Tall Matt a haircut and put him in a different job. Uh, yeah, it was funnier when he was just saying yes and no. It, I was kind of hoping they would carry that on a little bit. Todd described him as a Slender Man meme, which <laughs> I thought was very funny. <laughs> and maybe not a lot of people would get that. Well, they did make a Slenderman movie. Which nobody saw. That's true. And then, and then you know, with the pandemic, Slenderman was replaced by the the one with the siren on its head. Siren head. Oh, I didn't even know the first thing about that. Hmm. Look it up. Nah. Our penultimate storyline tonight is not only, but also fans. <laughs> on Monday... <laughs> Ryan is out on a run when he's bombarded with notifications. It seems that he's losing subscribers from his Ovids, not only but also fans, for not doing personal live videos. Creepy <sighs> as fuck. It's, it's creepy as fuck. It's also creepy as fuck that losing two subscribers seems to be the end of the world for Ryan. And it also seems creepy as fuck that it's the, one, the same one person that he keeps on chatting to. Right. And also, if you notice... The website for ovids.com is http not https so ryan really should take care of what messages and login credentials he's given to this website right because it's not encrypted no <clears throat> stay safe kids don't do drugs 
Back home, Ryan is disappointed to learn that they're on cheap tea, I think, to save money when Carla brings them a cup in bed. And Carla's kind of in bed with him at this bit, which I thought was a little icky. Well, no, she just said, you know. That's normal for your aunt to get into bed with you and drink tea or whatever it was they were drinking. They're both fully clothed and she's over the covers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... Hung out in bed with with my aunt. Of- no, of you with your uncle. Maybe that's something you should be telling your therapist. Well, all of my uncles are dead except for Uncle Henry. It's weird. It's a little weird. Okay, fine, sure. Ryan promises that he'll be able to contribute to the house fund soon. In the meantime, Carla's curious to know if Ryan might be interested in a few hours at the factory where Kirk is currently murdering the back catalogue of Eminem. Ryan agrees to start tomorrow. Carla goes off for a shit while Ryan discovers that he's lost another subscriber due to his lack of live personal vids. Ew. On Tuesday, at Carla's, Ryan is muttering to himself as he injects more steroids up his arsehole. He's got no notifications from his porn wank site, which is quite worrying. Carla sticks her head in the room and asks if he's ready to turn up for his shift at the factory and Ryan had forgotten about it but promises to come in later. And the next we see him, he's in the factory and now he's getting notifications from one horny man looking for a private photo shoot. Ryan tells Kirk that he has to go phone his mum so goes off to the shutter to do that. Which strikes Kirk as being rather bohemian. (laughs) I actually laughed. The conversation between Kirk and, and Ryan is actually quite funny. I actually laughed at it. Yeah, me too. When Kirk says, wait, you're going to phone your mum while you're on the shitter? He's like, yeah. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here. Right. And Kirk's like, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. But when Ryan comes out, Kirk is surprised to notice that Ryan's shirt is now inside out. So Ryan has to say that he has to take his clothes off before he takes a shit. For Kirk, it's his shoes. He doesn't know why. (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, his latest picks have been getting some bad reviews. Yawn, says the guy, desperate to knock one out this early in the day and who apparently isn't aware that the internet has porn now. Right. He wants live or he's unsubscribing. Later, Ryan is sitting with Beth and Kirk as more and more notifications come in demanding a live session and they come to an agreement for £500. So Ryan nips off to have a cheeky wank on camera in Carla's spare bedroom. Yeah. <sighs> Not creepy at all. Back at the factory, Ryan is nabbed by Carla for being late back from lunch. They have a deadline coming up and she worries that this is too much for him. He insists he's fine, but when it looks like an order is on its way to the wrong warehouse because he didn't tell Kirk a change of plan, Ryan flounces off, saying it is all too much, right enough. So Carla goes back home to see Ryan, who unfortunately is chugging from a jug of milk at the time, which was not the best image to have on screen. No. Knowing what he's just done. Right. I mean, I'm glad that he's keeping up on his liquids. That's right, a good yeah, thing. and he needs to get his protein up. But maybe not milk. Right. <clears throat> Carla was worried that he needed a pushback into the workforce and he's shutting himself away again. Carla wants him to stay but needs to talk about how he's feeling and what's going on and just open up a little bit. Ryan takes his semen sample and leaves without a word. Ew. Then Daisy finds Ryan in the community garden working out. She asks how he's doing and offers her ear if he ever needs to talk. He says he's okay though, and he gets back to his workout. <clears throat> on Wednesday, Peter bumps into Ryan at the end of one of his runs. After some chit-chat, Ryan asks Peter to apologise to Carla for him for yesterday. 
But the factory isn't for him. Well, what is then, says Peter, and he accuses Ryan of locking himself away again. Once more, he insists he's fine thanks to his online fitness thing. Then he gets more requests for some more live wanking shows. Peter is in with Carla at Nina Rolls. She's a million miles away, worried about Ryan. She knows that something is up that he's not telling them about. They arrange to meet for lunch and Peter asks for a ding when she's ready, which is better than a dong. Ryan is back home and working up to wanking off for another live customer. They're having some filthy sex chat when Peter comes in to retrieve his wallet and he hears them chatting on the other side of the door, or rather he hears Ryan talking to somebody on the other side of the door. Can I can I just express how happy I am, how much of Alex we get this week? Yeah, we've got a lot of Alex. We got a great. lot of Alex this week and he's still so funny. cheeky. Yeah. Love him to bits. Yeah. Peter heads off to the rovers for a double orange juice. Carla joins him and he tells her about the wanking noises and sex chat coming from Ryan's room. He's an 0898 person, Daisy is there, and is shocked to hear this. So she goes off to see Ryan and mentions what Peter overheard. Ryan is shocked. Daisy and Ryan have a moral debate about what he's doing and how he uses a filter on his face. Daisy, let's remember, who pretended to be Crystal for months, thinks this is weird. Ryan says he's wanking for his art. She's... I'd kind of assumed that that's what he was doing. Right. I didn't expect him to confirm it. Right. I but he confirms kind of it with leave, Daisy. I thought they'd kind of leave that to the imagination a little bit. But she comes in, the expert on all this, knowing that he can't possibly be making enough money to pay for rent because she knows how many subscribers that he's got. And she's definitely worried that he's doing porn. And he says he's not doing it with anybody. And she's like, are you doing it with yourself, though? And I thought, right. I did think that was a bit, for Coronation Street, a little bit, a little bit in your face. <laughs> not obviously, nobody <laughs> says wanking, for example. No. But it danced around it much closer than I thought it ever would. Right, yeah. And she has a point. And it was so obnoxious. She's like, well, it's basically the same thing you were doing. She's like, I never took my clothes off. Mm -hmm. Carla comes in to run through the Peter story herself, so Ryan covers by saying that he's having a long-distance relationship with Kirsty, an American. Who but Carla, not a Canadian. Who Carla doesn't know, and that's why he was wanking loudly in his room earlier. Carla has heard enough. Right. So Ryan comes into the Rovers later to thank Daisy for playing along. Daisy still doesn't think this is a good idea. He barely leaves the house, and he wanks in his room for money. She asks him to promise to stop if it gets any weirder. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I guess it's going to get weirder. I don't know how weirder it can be. Right. It's the way that Ryan mutters to himself as he's right. going about this business. It's, right, yeah. kind of freaks me out a little bit. Right. Elvis has left the building. Mm. And he mutters as he's about to inject himself. Oh, just give myself a quick re-injection there. Right. He still has that bruise, even though... He doesn't shoot it in the same place. I have to say, I'm a little surprised by how much of Ryan's ass we get to see. We, we see, we see, cleft. we see cleft. Yes, and and we see like a full cheek. There's a cheek. There's a full cheek, and there's just a wee hint of a cleft. Mm -hmm. It's it's not bad. So we know that he has at least two buttocks. Yes. We can't confirm if he has any more than that. No. It's at least two. 
Where exactly does Daisy get off telling Ryan that this is weird? Let's remember that while she was catfishing him, she wasn't doing any sexy talk. She wasn't showing any body parts. She wasn't doing phone sex with him. She was just she was just very much talking like a mate the whole time. She was doing far more than that. She was having an emotional relationship with him. Right. By but, pretending to be somebody else. But and I'm putting it to you that that's as weird as anything that Ryan's doing. But it wasn't sexual and that kind of feels like it crosses a line. This feels like it was even worse than than sexual because it was emotional. Look, neither of them will ever be as weird as a sex cardigan. Granted. But I still think this is at least equal. But but she is right that the fact that he is covering his face that that he's that he's showing everything but his face mm-hmm. is is indicating that, you know, he's got he he's not really he's still not really dealing with the issues that he's been having ever since the acid attack. That he's and his face is, is getting considerably better. You know, they've they've toned down the redness in it places. It seems to come and go, which I can I can believe actually. Right. You know, and it also kind of feels like Daisy is the only one he could have this conversation with. I think is the problem. She he, keeps putting herself into his business here and this he, is this is not new. She's she's historically been putting herself into his business. Right, because they both went they both went through something together. Yeah. And also she has regardless of how many times he says to stop doing this, she still does it. Right. Well he seems to have accepted it now. He's not mean yeah, to her. I can't anymore. complain about it anymore because she's not gonna listen anyway. Right. But also she's the only one who can hear about what he's doing not really pass judgment on it on its own merit, but also say this is concerning for you because you are you are masking your face and you're not dealing with your emotional trauma. Yeah. And this is making it worse. I'm not saying that what Ryan's doing is not weird. I'm saying that what Daisy did was just as weird. Right. But she's the only one who could be saying this to him. So I'll tell it you, doesn't... he's got a good filter on there because the, yeah. fil- the filters that we use on teams because I've got a background on because mm-hmm. you never want anybody to be showing up behind you to suddenly appear on, right, yeah. on camera. But sometimes that like, kind of glitches those, and goes those... in and out a little bit. Yeah. He's putting a lot of faith into that, that right. filter. Right, and he's moving around a lot while supposedly it is on. Mm-hmm. So this must be a magic filter from like 20 years in the future sort of thing. I don't know how wank filters have have come on in recent years, but mm. it does look like it's a little bit of a risk to be yeah. putting that much faith in it. Maybe just a little paper bag would do just right. the trick. Or, you know, a cat mask. Yeah, this is where it gets weirder. <laughs> he's wearing a paper bag or he's wearing a cat mask. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we've, got... We've discovered where this is going to go. It's got eyes wide shut all over it. Lovely stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> it is creepy though that he's doing it in Carla's spare bedroom though, right? That at least that's creepy. I mean it's where he lives. It'd be creepier if he was doing it in somebody else's house. 
It kind of is doing it in somebody else's well, house. Well, it, it's the house he lives in. Did you never have a cheeky wank in your mother's house? Did that never happen? Oh, that happened daily. All right, then. But that was where I lived. Right. And that's where Ryan lives. It's the same thing. I don't know if I'd done that when I was a grown-ass man, though. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Because you lived there as a grown-ass man. Uh, only briefly. Well, not not brief enough. <laughs> anyway. anyway. I think that's between me and my... my and the, the me, ghosts me. of your family. <laughs> who are looking down on you in judgment. From the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> yep. With my uncles. Ugh. We're also judging you. Good God. Well, <laughs> there goes any lingering libido that I have. <laughs> Our final storyline tonight is Canadian Psycho. On Tuesday, Anina rolls Steve and Tim are enthusing about yesterday's county game until they both start arguing about which one of them is the fittest and therefore closest to physical perfection. I'm like, really? This is where this is what we're doing to fill up some time? Right. Haven't we done this a million times right. before? Yeah. Tim and Steve take their argument into their overs. Tim is in a mood about how Steve thinks that he'd be an awful goalkeeper and reckons that he's jealous. Steve says Tim is an out of shape middle-aged man and doesn't understand the drama, but then goes off for a shite which allows Tim to hack into his phone. Cause of course he would. Why why wouldn't he why wouldn't that be the action that Tim takes? Right, to, yes. I'm a little confused about what he does with that phone for revenge. We find out. Yeah. Later, they've woken Rita up to be part of this stupid story. There's a noise of a duck quacking, which it turns out is now Steve's ringtone. Tim has changed the ringtone. To a duck. Hilarious. Wow. It's it's like, I thought he was going to like text something to Tracy. Right. That's what I thought he was doing. Yeah. Or because there's something Sign that... up to Ryan's Patreon. Who knows? <laughs> so later, Sally's dragged into the pub and Steve gets his revenge via Sally by changing Tim's ringtone. So when Tim's phone rings, it's the birdie song that plays. And Steve's also changed all of Tim's settings to Turkish. Tim <laughs> swears revenge. I, I guess that little cherry on top was quite funny. Yes. But then, well, Steve has changed the duck back to his normal tone. Tim does not, and it comes up. Yeah, because his settings are Turkish and he can't understand them anymore. <laughs> but at it, this point... It becomes point, very important in, in the story. Well, it starts to become important in what we're about to talk. At, at, on Tuesday, it was like, what am I watching here? Because this is just dressing up as dinosaurs and hitting each other with uh, with baseball bats. See, this is just a, the pointless shenanigans. I was about ready to say I missed the days where they would wrap shipping, wrap. shipping tape yeah. around one another and then fight like Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Yeah, well, this was a kind of low-rent version of that, yeah. I guess. But anyway, it does have a point. Yes. On Wednesday, next day, and Jenny is about to head back to the pub, but she has had a wonderful time with Stephen, and she invites him to move into the rovers with her. In Tim's mum's bed. Belter, says Stephen, and he promises to take her bags over later. At the factory, Michael is worried about his dad and uncle after the body was discovered. Stephen comes in and misses the gist of the conversation, so Izzy and Michael bring him up to speed. A what? A body. And Stephen suddenly bricks it. 
He goes out into the yard and looks for some buckets to throw around, but it's not Bindi and they're far too heavy. Sierra comes out to check on him. Stephen insists that he has uh, every intention of paying Audrey back, which came out of nowhere, and then he feigns sickness, so Sarah sends him home. Carla's on the phone at work, chasing up her hair sample results that everyone's forgotten about. Should just be a couple of days now, apparently. So the timing of this is perfect. Yes. Sarah comes in to tell her about Stephen going home. At the Rovers, Jenny is walking around like she's just got off a horse. She is one happy customer. Daisy, though, is unimpressed at the new living arrangements. When Stephen comes in and overhears some chat about the body, Glenda has heard that it was a woman. <gasps> so Stephen goes off to speak with Ed and Ronnie to talk about the body at the site, and he learns that the site is now cordoned off. He mentions it was a woman, but Ed doesn't know what he's talking about and confirms that it was definitely a bloke. He saw it, and it was a bloke, all right. Right, and we saw Stephen burn Leo's clothes. So that means Ed saw much more of that corpse than he wanted to. But, funny we should mention that, because the arm that you see sticking out of the ground is wearing the same jacket that Leo was wearing when he got flung off the mezzanine thing at the factory. Well, that's confusing. Oh, no, wait, it was his luggage. Wasn't it his luggage? It was like his suitcase or something, because Stephen dumps it out first, I think. Because what he was supposed to, because he was, because Jenny said, oh, no, he couldn't have left because his luggage is still here. And so Stephen goes in and he steals the luggage and then he burns it. Right. Now I remember. There we go. Because he was wearing that jacket. The jacket was was identifiably the same as the one that he was wearing when he got thrown off the the level. Bravo at Coronation Street. Yeah. Getting continuity right for once. (laughs) Well, I'm sure they've done it before. (laughs) Name one. I I can't remember any. Okay. Must have happened. Peter is there to overhear this conversation. Is Carla? I can't remember if Carla's there, but Peter's definitely there. And Peter doesn't trust Stephen or goes through fits and bursts of trusting Stephen. So it's important that he hears this, I think. Stephen goes through the back and finds his passport at the top of his luggage and must remember his obvious plan to skip Dodge from months ago that he really should have done. Tim is in the rovers later and pissed off to see that Stephen has wormed his way into Jenny's knacks just as DC Tinker with his creepy pal comes in looking for a private word with Jenny and the body on the building site. Jenny asks him to spit it out, and so he tells her that the body is Cinco Leo's. See? Told you we should have gone somewhere private. Right. So they finally go through the back. It's such an (laughs) awkward conversation, too. And it's an awkward conversation that wouldn't have happened if they'd gotten a detective who hadn't grown up on the street to take care of this, as they should have. Because that's why. Yes. That's why you don't work in your own neighborhood. They made a point of this pre-COVID, that this is why you wouldn't see Craig in a police uniform was because he's, I don't think, allowed to on the street where he lives. Right. And yet. But we've kind of forgotten about that. And yet. So they finally go through the back. Jenny, unwilling to believe it, Cinco Leo should be in Canada by now. Stephen looks like he's about to have a stroke, just as Jenny remembers that he spoke to Teddy in Canada, who said that he was out with Leo. Stephen stammers as he tries to think of a story, eventually wondering if Teddy was maybe telling the truth. Maybe Teddy killed Leo, says Jenny, and she tells DC Tinker to speak to Teddy. So he leaves. Don't you have more questions, DC Tinker? Well, it's funny because they don't, he doesn't actually leave. He just goes out into the pub 
And then they come out. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So Jenny is inconsolable when when she learns that Leo's body was in the ground for ages. Right. And he learns that from DC Tinker, who doesn't want to tell her. Yeah. And then he looks at the silent guy. The silent guy nods. And so then he feels like he's allowed to tell her. Right. Which Let's just hope so the silent weird. guy heard that question properly. Right. <clears throat> yeah, because this means that maybe he didn't abandon her after all. Well, yeah, that's that's the conclusion that she draws. In the pub, though, DC Tinker, who has been hanging around, learns from the regulars how Stephen and Leo had a physical altercation before he went missing, so Craig quickly drags Stephen down to the station for questioning. And in the station, Stephen plays down the situation and says Leo was the one who swung at him and they apologised later. And last he knew, Leo was heading to Canada after a fight with Teddy. And Teddy made a scene in the pub later saying that Stephen and Jenny deserved each other. And DC Tinker's eyes light up here and he kind of smiles and nods. Oh yes, this, this seems very plausible. Hmm. So Stephen is let out without charge and is now a bit more calm. He thanks Sarah for her support. Later, Jenny is a bit hammered and still morose about Leo being dead and that. Sarah was hilarious mm. because she's like, yeah, well, I know you're a dodgy guy and not to be trusted, but you're not a murderer. Yeah, well done, Sarah. Yeah. Jenny's sorry that Stephen got dragged into all this. She falls asleep on Stephen's chest while he has flashbacks of his murder spree. He moves Jenny off him and sneaks out seemingly with some business to take care of. And the next we know, it's the next morning. Tim is about to finish off his night shift and he's on the phone to Rosie and sees Stephen walking along the canal, looking into the water and then starts poking around with a stick. <laughs> Tim watches him from behind a hedge as he pokes away. Not like that. Mm. But Stephen is interrupted before anything is revealed when Tim's phone starts to play the birdie song in Turkish. Stephen quickly slinks away, wondering what the fuck that was all about. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. So... So next that, week, so that, somebody's going to phone Tim, the birdie song is going to play, and Stephen's going to know that Tim saw him at the canal. Well, Tim is going to call PC Tinker before that happens. Do you think? Yeah. Because remember how much he hates Stephen. Oh, with a passion. Right. That that thing is so shallow, you could poke it with a stick. Well, you can poke any depth with a stick. Did they touch the bottom? That's the question. Well, it's not on the bottom floating down the canal like a gun i'd be amazed if it's still in that spot though surely it's moved some well it would be really heavy and it's pretty shallow there so imagine imagine there's not much of a current i don't know i'm just i'm just glad that this is almost over it is a little weird that this is getting resolved a lot faster than Gary murdering Rana. I so want Stephen to get off with this. He better not. I'd, I'd love it. If, it'd just be such a fuck you to everybody if they let Stephen away with it. Yeah, it's a fuck you to the fans as well, though. <laughs> as far as I can make out, a lot of people are on board with this still. It's not just me. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who are not and find this dreadful. And Stephen horrendous as is his accent so at the moment steven's body count consists of cinco leo teddy 2023 and rufus houndstooth none of which are long established characters cinco leo was a year 
Teddy, less than that. Rufus, couple of months maybe, right? I think Somebody, Rufus is slightly longer than that, but couple of months. not much. Somebody big needs to get taken out for the Stephen legacy to mean anything, for something to be remembered. Well, do we have to remember it? I you think, think he's going to kill Tim? I think, I think he's going to kill Tim. I don't think he's going to kill Tim. I think he's going to kill Tim. I think Tim that would can't be, die. I think he has to kill somebody. I think somebody else has to go, and I think it has to be somebody big for for a serial killer not to take out an established member of the cast is just lunacy. Hmm. You're putting in all this effort, like a year worth of storytelling and plotting and and all that sort of stuff. It's I think terrible, you, you though. To, you think you need to get another another big one. On his way out, and I think it might be Tim. It might be somebody else. Yeah, but if Tim, it's if it's nobody, ah, it's damp squib territory. Tim and Sally are great together, though, and we would be really sad if Sally was a widow. Oh yeah, and also Tim's actual wife works on the show, so why would they not want to continue to work together? Well, I don't think they have much say in the matter. They usually kill somebody off when somebody wants to get off the show. Eh, sometimes when the storyline merits it, I think. I think, and I think this does. <clears throat> I guess the concern also is that we know that you know Peter's made no, or Chris Gascoigne's made no bones about the fact that he's leaving, taking some time off. They've said that he's leaving the door open to, to come back, but that right. could be bullshit. Maybe he's out. Yeah, or maybe he's like. That would be an. That would be a huge kill if it, it would was be. if it was uh, Peter. Or, well maybe maybe he's attacked but he doesn't quite die so he's in a coma for like a year and a half and Sup- that's his break superb and you know you never know from day to day if he's going to die or not I don't know, but, but it's, it's going to be no no surprises that this is coming to your head the way that everything is just slowly unraveling we've got Carla going to get her test results back mm-hmm. next week so she's yep. going to know that she had some LSD in her system yep. that ain't coming back negative so she's no. going to be putting two and two, two, and two together, together. and she's already got her short list mm-hmm. that is Sarah Stephen. Stephen and was it Rufus was it the next one? Yeah and he's already dead and he's dead so and that's also kind of hilarious because Rufus almost told her and Rufus was using the fact that he knew that Stephen was giving her LSD to blackmail Stephen. Right. Which is the whole reason why he's dead now. Yes. So I don't think this has got much longer to run. Maybe a couple of weeks, maybe Thank a month. God. Well, there's, there is Friday the 13th at the, at the Coronation Experience. Oh, was that October? Watch, what, yeah, watch TV with a serial killer. Oh, that was last week's Fred West joke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this... Because the show is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday again next week. Boo! I don't know, I didn't mind it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. No. It's allowed us to record it early. Yeah. Which is, again, kind of the show because we've got a marching band thing to go and see on um, Friday night, so... Yeah. It all kind of works out. Right, yeah. Of course, Britbox hasn't caught up yet, but... You know, Britbox still wants to give you the new episode on Friday. Yeah, which is shocking, especially that they're putting the price up for that. Are they? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Eight bucks a month now hmm. to watch late Coronation Street. Hmm. 
Well, then it's appropriate that you and Stella are starting up a podcast that involved that involves a pirate. Are you about to dox me? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just stating a fact. No, just apropos nothing. Apropos nothing. I mean, I speak openly about using a VPN. I, I don't no, think anybody cares. No, the everybody legally does it. buy. So, I feel sorry for Jenny though. Yeah, I'm, but I'm kind of. This doesn't feel all that Jenny. No, she's just. Especially since she held him at bay for so long. Right. I just want a better cop involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because if just, it's if it's down to DC Tinker, he's never solving this. Tinker's never solving this. And I just and it could be right in front of him, and he's not going to solve it. And it's so weird. It's so weird that they, they kind of rushed him through training to be a detective, and he wasn't a very good cop to begin with. He was. He's a he's dirty ben. cop. He's Ben. He's a dirty cop. Huh. Do you think the show knows that this is totally unbelievable? I don't know. They thought Craig and Faye were good together. So maybe not. Sometimes, sometimes with these, these characters who have grown up on the show, sometimes it kind of feels like the show forgets that they've grown up on the show or they remember, but they're kind of like, well, we've given this care because this character has been on the show for so long. We've given them practically every, every plot line or storyline we can think of. I don't think Craig's had that though. So we kind of just have to, because let's also remember the show has forgotten that he has OCD, except when someone occasionally makes a joke about it. Oh, you got pills for that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he still has it. A, a character that's been on the show as long as this from as young, kind of, right. as he has turned into Chesney. It's, yeah. it's unavoidable. Eventually. So they throw him into the police to try and avoid that happening. Right. But they can't. No. It it kind of feels like the only one who's really dodged that bullet successfully at this point is Jack P. Shepard. Because I think David is a much more three-dimensional character than, than Chesney or Craig ever have been. And also the plots are like, there's there's a family dimension there. Because they constantly forget that Chesney and Fizz are siblings, and Craig has Craig's sibling is a dog. So, you know, so there's only so much you can do with a single child. David was always a bit of a tearaway and a scamp. Right. Chesney, Chesney was cute. Uh huh. Until he wasn't. And I think I think the view had Craig has been the same. Right. Which is kind of what my worry was with Sam. With right. Sam and there's just heading to be another Chesney, but they've, no. kind of, they've kind of avoided that, I think, fairly right. well. Yeah. And and also because Jude Reardon goes and does other things. Right. You know, and has another big, huge hit show that he's on. Right. right. <laughs> kind of helps. Oh, well. That was the week that was Coronation Street then. Helen. Helen? Yes. Tell me, what was your moment of the week? Is it Jenny finding out that it was Leo? 
Jenny, we kind of skipped over this, and I feel bad for kind of skipping over it now. Right. Uh, Sally Ann Matthews it's so good was this. just amazing. Right. As the distraught Jenny, the distraught partner, learning right. what happened to Leo. She was... Right, and being so devastated about the fact that she's gone this whole year thinking that he did her wrong mm. and that he's a bad person when all along he was just dead. Right. Yeah, that was incredible. And and the way she the way it switches very quickly from being in this kind of ethereal sexual high to just crashing mm-hmm. was just was just really really was really really good. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yes. And these are one this week. That is our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Hmm. Neither Daniel nor Chesney are in it this no, week. Well, they, we do have a bit of Chesney. Yeah, but he's in leather, so we can't give it to him for that. No. Because that at least kind of makes him interesting. And he's drunk for part of it as well. That was fun. Yeah. Not as drunk as Summer was. No. Summer was drunk. That was kind of funny. I like rainbows. It's nice to have rainbows. It was kind of funny. It kind of reminded me when we were introduced to Ryan. Remember how we were introduced oh, to God, Ryan? Oh, that was awful. Like fell st- stumbled in, like mm-hmm. acting drunk. Oh, it's so much better now than it was then. Oh, so man. So much better. Oh, that's a character that's really grown on me. Oh, me too. I love Ryan. But not like that. Our boring moment of the week, though. Yeah. It remains unanswered. Yes. <laughs> Is it Stephen poking the canal with a stick? <laughs> no, I thought it was Stephen Tim on Tuesday. I thought all that stuff. I mean, it, it turns out that it had at least some relevance with right. the with the he punched him. That with, part? No. no, with the phone. Oh, ringtone oh, thing. Steve, not Stephen. Why do they do this to us? Hmm. No, because that kind of has relevance later on. Yeah, but at the time it didn't. Is it? Tinker's partner. <laughs> See, I think he makes Tinker interesting. That's the only interesting thing about Tinker. Is 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 he being shadowed or is he talking to ghosts? Yeah. I'm thinking maybe a ghost. Uh, I kind of feel like is it Neil saying bid too many times? Is it Courtney not knowing what a dumpling was? No, it's, of course it's Neil with the bet. Bet, 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 bet. Bet, 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 bet. Yeah, yeah of bet, course. Bet, of bet, course. Bet. That's it. Boring moment of the week. Fuck you, Neil. Yeah. Your score out of 10 in hell this week. It was a better week. It was a better week. Than last uh, week. It, it's not difficult. No. I'd say seven and a half. I'm going to give this a rollicking eight and a half this week. I really enjoyed it this week. Wow. I've got a lot of lot of joy out of this this was a, a good week of coronation street maybe comparatively because it's come off the back of a couple of really stinking weeks mm-hmm. that it maybe seems a little bit better but I'm i was, just I was happy. thinking maybe eight but i think i'm gonna go eight and a half i think this is my yeah i think i'm happy i'm happy that at least sinkhole leo has been uncovered yeah excellent well, that about wraps up then. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles and DT. DT! If you've ever... Oh, no, don't say nothing about wanking. <laughs> i tell you what, just get in touch with us. We're the talk of the street at but gmail.com. Like that. And we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. 
You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The Lissa Lists and Spongebob Squarecast, which will be back, back this people. weekend. It's back, bitches. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... A talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.